took the liberty of <clears throat> making you an outline, so if you want to take notes, you can. <laughs> if you don't, it's got the scriptures on there that you can. I would encourage you to take it home and reread uh, this week the scriptures because I got a lot of Bible tonight. So um, <clears throat> I didn't put it up on the overhead. Wasn't sure we was going to have it, but we do. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so I'm glad you're here. We had a good crowd this morning. We got a good crowd tonight. Thank you for being yeah. here. Thank you for being faithful. Uh, we're, uh, we're, we're hanging in there. Keep praying that God's blessing and, and uh, you keep washing your hands and covering your face and, and uh, sanitizing and social distancing. So we're just praying God to God's protection on us so that we, we uh, can avoid this COVID stuff that a lot of the churches are having to close because they have. Anyway, tonight I want to talk a little bit. Everybody get a sheet that wants one? <laughs> yeah, and there's pens in the seat pockets. You can just lay them down there. Pens in the seat pocket if you want to take a note or two. I want to talk about something tonight that has um, <clears throat> been on, on my, uh, been ruminating on this for a while. And this last week it just really started to come together. So I want to. Uh, if I would have a subject tonight, it would be called Forgive and Forget. Forgive and Forget. I want to read a scripture, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12. It's part of what we call a Lord's Prayer. Matthew six twelve says, And forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's Jesus talking. He said, And forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The word used here for forgive is the Greek word aphiomai. And it literally, when you look at the literal uh, interpretation of that word, it literally means to send away or yield up. In other words, it means to forget. It means to forget the debt. It means to forget the trespass. It means to forget the wrong. This verse not only implies, but the Lord is speaking specifically here. It specifically states that God Almighty will forgive us our sins, our trespasses, our debts in the same manner that we forgive others. What am I saying? I'm saying in order to be forgiven, we must forgive. In order to be forgiven, we must forgive and forget. Let's pray before we get started. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for the opportunity to come and share your word, to hear from you. Speak to our hearts tonight. Give us the ears to hear, a heart to receive, and a mind to comprehend what you have for us tonight. Help me to say everything you'd have me to say. Let the preacher come. Let the teacher come. Let me say what you would have me to say and nothing more. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say amen. Or oh me. <clears throat> I want to talk, I got two points tonight that I want to share with you. And it's there on the sheet. If you want to make a note or two, you can. Number one, it is a Christian's responsibility to forgive. Come on, somebody say amen. It's a Christian's responsibility to forgive. God was so adamant. He was so adamant about this concept that he restated that in several places in his word. He stated it over and over again. He had a lot to say about forgiveness. 
Matthew 18, 21 and 22 says, Then Peter came to Jesus. Don't you just love Peter? I mean, he reminds me of a big oaf. He was just so quick to do stuff. I mean, you know, he thought he, he, he acted first and thought later. But, you know, he's a loyal type person. Everybody needs a Peter in their life, right? <laughs> it's got you back. And when then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, if my brother keeps on sinning against me, how many times do I have to forgive him? Seven times? No, not seven times, answered Jesus but 70 times 7. That's 490. 490 every day. That's a lot. In other words, what Jesus was implying here, what he was saying, that there's no real limits on the number of times a person should be forgiven. In other words, he said, well, but wait a minute. They just keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. Well, you keep forgiving and you keep forgiving and you keep forgiving. Is that fair? No. Is the world fair? No. Are we Christians and we're different from the world? Right. Jesus explained his answer by relating this parable. Now, I've got several verses I'm going to read, so uh, try not to zone out on me. Matthew 18, verse 23 through 35. It says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of the debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife and his children and everything he owned to pay the debt. How would you like that if the bank came and said, you can't pay your money, so we're going to sell you into slavery and sell your house and your wife and your kids. That's what he was doing. Verse 26, but the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave. The same word there, forgave the debt. He forgave and forget. He, he put the debt away from him. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. In this passage, Jesus is teaching that the forgiveness of God, the forgiveness of God is free. It's freely given to the repentant sinner. God's forgiveness is a free gift to someone who is truly repentant. But however, that forgiveness remains conditional. 
That forgiveness is conditional. It depends upon how a person's uh, willingness to forgive others. God's forgiveness is conditional upon your willingness to forgive others in your life. Does that make sense? Nod your little head. Yeah, it makes sense. <clears throat> so what it says, in other words, a person can forfeit God's forgiveness by not maintaining uh, by not forgiving others. A person can forfeit God's forgiveness by maintaining bitterness and unforgiveness in their heart. Do you hear what I said? If a person is maintaining bitterness and unforgiveness, holding a grudge in their heart, they can forfeit God's forgiveness. How sad. Mark eleven twenty five and 26 says, Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. The NLT says, if you're holding a grudge against anyone, you need to forgive. A Christian should not be foolish enough to believe that they have faith to have their prayers answered if they don't uh, forgive those who they have a grudge against. If, if, the, if someone is secretly holding animosity or unforgiveness in their heart against some individual or something or some organization and they expect God to answer their prayers, then, then they're sadly mistaken. Does that make any sense? Is that not what that Bible said right there? That if you hold uh, a grudge or a bitterness or unforgiveness in your heart, don't expect God to answer your prayers because you're not being you're not being forgiving yourself, right? Come on. The apostle Paul had a little bit more to say on this subject in Ephesians chapter four. He said, "Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil." Behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. These traits that he mentioned there bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander. Let me say that again. These traits bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. Have you read Facebook lately? <laughs> These traits here. <clears throat> Bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander are totally incompatible with a born-again Christian's profession of faith. Come on. If you profess to be a Christian, if a person professes to be a Christian and harbors of any of these evil traits, then you wonder about the status of their Christianity. You wonder about the status of their salvation. And a person confesses faith in Jesus Christ, these things must be dealt with. These things must be dealt with if you want to remain in God's blessings. Right? Come on, somebody. <clears throat> it also has been scientifically proven that holding anger or bitterness in your heart towards someone or something or some organization is detrimental to your health. Harboring anger and bitterness increases the risk of heart attack and stroke. Harboring anger and bitterness increases anxiety and stress. It, it causes negative feelings and mental imbalance. 
And it also has a negative effect on your immune system. How many don't need to have a negative effect on your immune system right now? A loving and forgiving spirit shows that a person is a true follower of Christ. I'm going to say that again. A loving and forgiving spirit shows that a person is a true follower of Christ, right? Matthew 5, 43 states it this way. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, this is Jesus talking here. It's written in red. (laughs) But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Mm. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is in that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. He's talking about the IRS here, folks. (laughs) If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. Return kindness for kindness. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. What they mean is striving perfection there. Pardon me. When we are wronged, when someone wrongs us, when someone does something evil to us or says something bad about us, we are not to react in a spirit of hatred. but in a way that shows that we have values that are centered in Christ and his kingdom. Our action toward those who are unkind to us should be such that it might lead that person to accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Come on. Point number two. Point number one, it's a Christian's responsibility to forgive. Point number two, it's a Christian's responsibility to help others to forgive. Look at Matthew 5, 23. It says, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar... And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Not you have something against him, but if your brother has a grudge against you. You got that so far? You leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Not only should we forgive others that, that we might have a grudge against you know, prior to bringing our gifts to the altar, but we should also make every attempt to reconcile with, with someone who has something against us before we bring our gifts to the altar. Does that make sense? Yeah. Wow, that could be awkward. And that could be humiliating. And, and I know I, I've had people hold a grudge against me when I was right and they were wrong. Right? And it may be that same way with you. Someone might have a grudge against you. You were in the right. They were in the wrong. But they're mad at you. 
You, knew, you know that you were right. They know that you were right. You know that they know that you were right. They know that you know that they know that you were right. But you got to go apologize to them anyway. Ouch. Right? That's what it says. We, we have to do everything we can do to reconcile to someone who has a grudge against us. And that's hard. That's hard to do. But as a Christian, that's our responsibility to help that person to get over it so that they can get closer to Christ. Does that make sense? And again, we're told to pray for those who persecute us. Matthew 5, 43, you've heard the law says love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Is somebody mean to you? You're supposed to pray for them. I mean, you don't have to pray that evil people are blessed. I mean, that's not biblical. You don't have to pray that they're blessed. What you're praying for is their immortal soul. You're praying that they will learn to accept Christ, that they will learn about Christ and accept Him. As you pray for evil people that way, does that make sense? You don't have to pray that pray that God blesses them. You don't have to do that. You have to pray that they'll accept Christ and then they'll be blessed. Does that make sense? But we're instructed to pray for them and do our best to reconcile with them. <clears throat> the Word has more to say. As uh, the more to say is how we address those who have wronged us. <clears throat> Matthew five twenty one and twenty two. Brittany, you can come on. <clears throat> Matthew five twenty one twenty two says, "You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment." If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if I call someone an idiot, it's almost like committing murder. Is that what that said? We're, we're supposed to be Christ-like. We're supposed to treat them with compassion and forgiveness. I want you to know, we are living... In the very last of the last days. How many would agree with that? We're living in the very last of the last days. Our conduct and our actions might very well determine the eternal destiny of those in our sphere of influence. Did you hear that? Our conduct and our action, our words, might very well determine the eternal destiny of those we have contact with or in our sphere of influence. What does that say? It is eternally vital that we, the church, tighten up and stand up and be the church. In the last of the last days, it's our responsibility to drag in as many folks as we can. It's our responsibility to go out there and grab my scruff of the neck as we have to. Our conversation with anybody we know should be about the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't need to have any anger and bitterness and malice and hatred and envy. We need to show the love of Jesus Christ to those that we're around. We need to be the church. We need to be the forgiving, loving church. <clears throat> Matthew 5 and 13 says, You are the salt of the earth. Talking about the church, the Christian. This is Jesus talking. You're the salt of the earth, but what good is salt 
if it has lost its flavor. Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. He also goes on to say, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. We're the church. We sing that little song in children's church, this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. I'm not going to put it under a basket, under a bushel, we said. We're going to let it shine for everybody. The church needs to be the church and show everybody how to act. We don't need to leave it in here on these seats. We need to take it out into the street. We need to show everybody and drag them in, kicking and screaming if we have to. If, if the house was on fire, what are you going to do when somebody's in there and the house is on fire? You're going to go drag them out. I'm telling you what, the house is on fire, folks. We need to drag some people into the kingdom, right? The pastor talked about this morning that we're reinstating the altar. For too long, we've neglected the altar. And you can read in, in the Old Testament where how people would rebuild altars and re-consecrate to God. We're rebuilding the altars here in this church, and I'm happy for that because that's a Pentecostal tradition to meet at the altar. The altar, it's, it, it's, it's a piece of oak wood that we nailed here, but it's consecrated to God as the meeting place between God and man, right? There's, there's nothing holy or sacred about it except that it's been sanctified and consecrated as a meeting place between God and man. And then it's had tears shed on this altar, crying out to God and seeking His face. Does that make sense? So here's what I'd like for us to do. I'd like for us to spend some time in prayer this evening. It's early. I'd like for us to spend some time in prayer seeking God for your life in these last days. Seeking God for your family in these last days. Seeking God for your friends in these last days. There's two things I'd like you to pray about tonight and take the paper home with you and pray during the week. Number one, when you find a place to kneel and pray, ask the Holy Spirit to point out any root of bitterness or unforgiveness in your heart. It might be something that happened 50 years ago. It might be something that you don't even know that you're still harboring that bitterness or that unforgiveness toward that person. It might be something that's hidden in there. It might be something that happened to your kids. And I'm going to tell you what, you do something to my grandkids, it's going to take the act of God for me to forgive you. I'm being honest here. It may have been something that, that you're holding in your heart that, that nobody knows about. But ask the Holy Spirit to point it out to you. And let's get that root of bitterness out today. Because we, we want everyone to be in the blessings of God, right? And live the blessed life. Number two, ask the Holy Spirit to help you be the salt and the light that will lead others to Christ in these last days. Because, folks, what's going on in the headlines, what's going on in the news, it's like reading the book of Revelation. It's like reading... Matthew, it's like reading Thessalonians. It's, it's the Bible being uh, lived out in front of us. Is, is that pointing to, I don't want to get into theology of it. We just know it's going to get worse and worse, <laughs> to use correct grammar here. So uh, for the next few minutes, everybody just find a place to pray. These altars are open. You come up here, come to the front branch, kneel at your seat, find a place to seek God. Like Pastor said earlier, every day we need to find a place to seek the Lord and pray. 
So come on and let's pray.